Hello, and welcome to the 12 Minutes of Workplace Health podcast. On today's session, we've got Zoe Eccleston, an expert in the field of workplace health and wellbeing. Zoe has helped consult with organisations from PepsiCo all the way through to Vodafone, and when it comes to wellbeing, she's seen it all. Welcome to today's session, Zoe. Hello, Zoe. How are you? That's good. How are you, Harry? I'm very well, thank you. Very well. It's really good to have you on the podcast today. We're going to be covering everything workplace health and well-being related. And obviously, you've got a huge amount of experience within this space. So let's get started with a, a tricky question of where have you seen well-being progress over the last not only five years, but 10 to 15 years? Obviously, the last year and a half, there's been so many challenges. But over a longer period than that, what, what's the journey that you've seen with well-being in the workplace? It's been a very mixed journey. I mean, I have, as you very politely said, been doing this for a long time. So over the last 20 years, I think the emphasis have changed as to what companies have thought about as uh, part of the well-being journey. It started off very um, basic uh, health parameters that people looked at. And then, of course, over time, it has really changed. And with the financial crash in 2008, it really, you know, took well-being, uh, was not back across the board because people were wondering again whether this was something they should be looking at. And uh, But again, it started to build. And at that point, actually, it was quite interesting because that's when I would report really starting to see a difference. And mental health was talked about, I would say, from about 2010. That's when mental health was first added to the uh, health and well-being equation in the workplace. I guess moving on from there, we've seen lots of different things come into um, fashion and go out of fashion uh, in the well-being. Lots of new suppliers, lots of new ideas that's going to come in. Um, it, you know, more recently before COVID, there was a huge increase of people talking about financial well-being. Um, and I think what it says to me is we have gone not round in a circle. But it is a never-ending continuum. Um, and probably over my years of working with different corporates, every time you go in, people have used different language or try to work out how to define well-being or to section it up. And it becomes impossible because while well-being is common to everybody, everybody's individual needs are different. And unfortunately, as we all know, each individual needs are um, different on different days. In terms of best practice obviously you've been working with some really major organizations over the years and have a lot of experience in well-being are there any trends that you see from those best organizations as such yeah i think the absolute trend of the people that have done it well is will come to no surprise to you and what you've set up um, at champion health is around using the data so if companies have really got under the skin as what's important to them and to their employees and been very clear about what they want to change and had set quite clear parameters. Um, even in the first instance, just choosing one if there are lots and going after that and making a big change because there's nothing more rewarding for any of us in whatever world we're in is seeing a change and then building on that. So that's where I've seen the biggest um, improvement of the people that have done best at this. And on the flip side to that, Zoe, um, I guess a lack of data is, is the obvious opposite and, and in terms of poor initiatives. Are there any other initiatives that you've seen not worked? You mentioned there are trends that come in and out of fashion. Um, what, what's your prediction with well-being going forwards in terms of things that may be fashionable at the moment that might not last? I think it is really hard. Even if you can't have 
hard data. And I am surprised that people don't because we do all have data. We may not have the data we thought we had, but there's always something that you can use. And that should be very obvious if you're just looking across the business. As you rightly say, anybody that just goes off, and I guess when they put in things because of trend with no basis behind it, it's going to fail. And I have seen that time and time again. It's no different to our own human behavior. We need to know why something we want to change something and when we become clear about that whatever that be whether it's we want to eat more fruit or we want to stop smoking we want to start exercising more when we can clearly see what the goal is it's it's not easier to start but at least we know which direction to go in so i always think one of my famous phrases in well-being is it's not rocket science um it, i often go to talks and i say i'm going to state you know the obvious you're not going to learn something you didn't already know if it was easy, I also like to jump uh, joke that I wouldn't be here now. I would have cracked it. Um, uh, but as we all know, behavioral health and behavioral change is the holy grail. And when one of us can work out what that is and then build on that, we're going to be um, heading in the right direction at speed. That's really interesting. And yeah, if you find that holy grail, feel free to share it with uh, Harry, myself and the champion team. We'll be more than happy to, to hear about it. Um, I know you're incredibly passionate about behaviour change. So I kind of want to just open it up for you to have a little um, kind of ramble around behaviour change, quite frankly, within organisations and, and how we can really implement that and, and get the impact. Yeah, I am passionate about it. Um, as I say, it's something that's so complicated. Um, I'm lucky enough to be married to a psychologist that, you know, we talk about it a lot, why things don't happen. You know, we came out when the government started to talk about nudging people's behaviours. Um, and I spend, you know, I don't think I go to a conversation, whether it's in a social or a work situation, and I don't sort of think about things and really work out that you just have to find that nub that changes that one person. And I know that if you were left in a room with any of your friends who was in the stage of change where they were looking at, so I'm not going to break down the stages of change, but we all know that there are several, and whether you're you know, thinking about change or you're getting preparing for change, there is a part of you that's got to be ready to go. So when we know that we talk to an individual, it's quite, um, after a short time, you really should be able to see what goes on in their eyes when you suddenly think, ah, oh, that's what they're interested in. You can do that behavior change at them. So on an individual level, it, I don't think, I always challenge, and anybody can come back to me and say, I challenge you to help me. If I could have half an hour, an hour, it would probably need to be face-to-face. -face. You could really probably say, what are you really, really wanting to change? And do you really want to change? Um, and then you can build on that. Obviously, it's just so much more difficult when you're trying to do it in a big corporation where you can't pick off each individual. Um, and that's why public health has such a problem. They know what they want to do. The public health in this country are trying really uh, hard. We used to have... In our day, we used to joke about some of the amazing public health notifications that used to go out about coughs and sneezes, spread diseases. And at the beginning of COVID, I was all for finding out those posters and putting them up again. Um, so I think if we can find those pieces um, and build on them, that's what's really important. And I guess a demonstration of that is 
back in the day when one of the things that we really worked on in workplace was smoking cessation. Um, and we would set up our stand on no smoking day. Well, it was very clear very soon from data that the most, the most hated day in the smoker's life was no smoking day. So do not do your smoking cessation program on that day because they've already got their hackles up. They're coming to work sort of saying, I don't want to be talked about. Um, so we would do it in a different day. And it was quite interesting one day when we had a, do you want to give up smoking desk in a foyer that I was working in? And, you know, people would approach me and say, my wife says I need to give up smoking. Uh, what can you do? And I'd say, well, uh, go away. And when you want to give up smoking, then come back and have a conversation. Because if you're doing it for yourself, you're going to succeed if you're doing it because of somebody else. And then it would start a conversation that already changed the sort of what would often appear to be lecturing about why you should do it. Because we all know that being lectured when we're not already in that idea of change is not a great thing. And it's taking principles from motivational interviewing within there that it's done with, not done to. And that's really important when it comes to well-being and the stages of change that you mentioned. Hugely important to be able to see where the individual is on that, that readiness to action. And um, I suppose there's more well-being providers than there's ever been in the market at the moment. You've got a big smile on your face. And I think you know what I'm going to say with here. But well-being is getting worse. And of course, the last 15 months, there's never been a situation like it within our lifetimes. But even before um, COVID, well-being was worsening. And so what, what's the, the issue at the moment? And, and why aren't providers really nailing the, the specific solution when it comes to well-being? Well, that is a really big question. Um, <laughs> but I think the short answer is, again, going back to working out what your need is and then really finding the supplier that is really good at that. So I think uh, we call it tick box exercise, but it falls into a different, it has a different problem if somebody does just bring in something and hasn't worked out what they're trying to solve. So, you know, being really obvious, you're not going to bring in a smoking cessation program if you're trying to run a weight loss program. That's really obvious. But bringing in a well-being provider that might be brilliant at one thing and has spread themselves possibly to thinly across the board, then that's not going to work. They may not be experts. So I do think really looking at what there are some excellent. The reason I was smiling was when I started, there were no suppliers. Mm. So I had to, you know, jack of all trades that I worry that I'm master of none. Because if I wanted smoking cessation, it didn't even exist then in the NHS as a program. You couldn't refer people. We did it ourselves. Um, so I'm really delighted that there are so many suppliers. There are so many excellent suppliers. But it is matching what you want to achieve, being recognizing that and then building on it. And that might mean that you have to have different suppliers if you can't find a supplier that is able to do all of your requirements under one roof, which, let's face it, that's what we're moving towards. And that would be the holy grail because um, one of the holy grails, Jack, there might be more than one because it's not going to do behavior change. <laughs> but at least if you know where to send people to and you can feel confident that they're going to get good advice and they're going to be able to have really high engagement, then you're already one step along a complicated journey. Yeah, I think that's really interesting and something for all of us to think about in terms of where's our pain point before we try and solve something and that comes back to the data doesn't it as well of well what's the issue here and, and what do we need to solve now obviously really conscious that we do a short podcast and it's bite-sized it's kind of the last question that I'd love to ask you is around you have so much experience and, and the lessons to teach us around well-being and I'm really curious where you think well-being will go next 
Well, I'm, I hope, whether it will go there, but I do hope we start dialing it back to some of the basics because I think at the moment uh, we used to have an analogy in the first company I worked for, for an amazing CEO, and I used to say, let's not ice an unbaked cake. And I've still used that. So you need to put the sugar, the butter, the eggs and the flour in to make your well-being, your, your person. And then you can ice it with some of the things. And I think um, Harry used to turn, you know, what you use, there's so many new trends coming in. If you constantly buy the new thing on the shelf, because that's what's trendy and that's what everybody thinks they want, it's not going to solve your problem. Start with the basics. Put your basics into place. Know that they're in place because... If COVID hasn't taught us anything, it's we all need good basic health. We need population health. We need to work out. And I think, again, because of COVID, we started to look at the reliance of the medical profession to secure our problems. And what we need to do is work out that actually our own health and well-being begins at home. Um, I'm reading a great book at the moment um, by Nigel Crisp that's called um, Health is Made at Home. I don't know whether either of you have seen it. I don't know the guy. It's not a plug for him. But it's absolutely fascinating because it does remind us sometimes that we, like you said, Harry, you can't have well-being done to you. You've got to do it to yourself. We can help people. We can guide people. We can encourage people. You've got to jump on the journey. But an awful lot of what we know in everyday basic life is up to us and we have to attend to that ourselves. So I don't know whether it is the future, Jack, but I hope it is the future that, the, that as corporations get more and more into health and well-being, we remember that they're inextricably linked health and well-being and that it is within all of us, whether we're the CEO or the cleaner or somewhere in middle management, there are certain behaviours that we have within our own abilities every day and we have to try and make those a priority for us so that we can live our best life every day. Fantastic. Zoe Eccleston, thank you so much for joining the 12 Minutes of Workplace Health podcast. Thank you very much for inviting me. For more exclusive insights and content around workplace wellbeing, please subscribe to this podcast and we look forward to seeing you on the next episode.